know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full brigadier. That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 31 of Anglophies, where we're going to be talking about reboots. And just stop. Just stop. Among other things. Sometimes they work. Whatever. Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And before we get into the topic do jour or month or whatever netflix dropped daredevil yesterday the internet has kind of exploded i am the terror that flaps in the night no that's darkwing duck honey is that the wrong one no it's the wrong one yeah he was kind of the terror who flapped in the night well he parkoured in the night he parkoured in the night he did not flap anyway elena and i have both seen the first episode kaylee has not so this is going to be short and vague but uh, Charlie Cox makes a really excellent Matt Murdock. Sounds a little Irish, even. Is he Irish? I don't know. I think we looked it up. He looks in Hell's Kitchen. It's a fair bet. Aesthetically, he is bringing it. Yes. That, that's my contribution for this. I, I don't know if it's Charlie Cox. I suspect it's actually his stunt double, but um, he's got very nice forms. Silhouetted yep. by the night. It's, by which yeah. I mean, he's, he's got a nice ass. <laughs> see eldon henson plays foggy nelson who is matt murdoch's law partner and bff people of a certain generation may remind remember him from the mighty ducks movies which is where i know him from i always knew that kid was gonna go far he he brings the funny he does he's kind of goofy looking there, there's actually a moment right i wanted uh, to mention to you because <laughs> it reminded us of our discussions of i think back when we were talking about sherlock's and procedurals and like rooting for the main character but when they're renting their offices and matt's all like our clients are gonna be innocent oh Matt!" and then foggy goes well they're all innocent until found guilty that's kind of the law <laughs> yep <laughs> yep yep i'm sorry matt i'm gonna be with foggy on this one <laughs> yep <laughs> also just because they're not factually innocent doesn't mean they don't deserve a good defense attorney basically matt murdoch here is a little bit of a l at the beginning of harvard as opposed to um, yeah. really matt if, if your lawyering philosophy is that of l woods at the beginning of harvard what like it's hard <laughs> say that as someone who did go to grad school partially because of like legally blonde not law school but grad school so yeah I studied English because of a night's tale. Legit. All of my decisions in my life have been very sound and not been influenced in any way by popular culture. <laughs> she said that with a straight face, folks. You don't know that. You can't see her face. <laughs> uh, visually, it's... Um, I like it. It's, um, it's bringing the grimdark that, you know, Daredevil is supposed to, but it's, it's got some nice use of color. Mm-hmm. Oh, when we were watching it, uh, Jim said the credits reminded him of Hannibal. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do some really interesting things with that. And the music is great. I like that very much. But when so, is the um, the other Marvel shows coming out? Because there's going to be a Jessica Jones show yeah. next year, is it? No, I think the, the second one is later this year, I think. At least Wikipedia says 2015, but I don't think they've actually announced dates. Yeah, they started production on AK Jessica Jones in February of this year. There's going to be a Luke Cage show as well, I know that. Yeah. I always forget who the fourth one is. Iron Fist? Yes, according to um, Wikipedia. And then the Defenders um, crossover. Gotta got give Netflix and Marvel credit. Their promotional game for this series alone has been on top. I mean, there are giant billboards for this all across the Perthshire area of Scotland, which shows you how much they're putting into this. Mm -hmm. Well, what's really interesting and kind of great about this is, of course, because it's Netflix, it's just going to come out everywhere where Netflix is available. 
so they can promote it worldwide because it's coming out worldwide. It's not like, you know, Scotland doesn't have to wait a month. Yeah, or, I mean, it's an, uh, it's an event in the way that the, the Marvel movies are an event, which I think is a really interesting strategy. And you're going to be seeing that replicated with a whole lot of other places. Um, Amazon, uh, Amazon have the rights to Outlander in the UK, which got hmm. heavy TV promotion here. So you can imagine, you know, the amount of money and effort that went into that. And uh, one final bit that's kind of interesting is the way they tie this in, at least in the very first episode, into the larger cinematic universe. Because actually, visually, it's very different from any of the movies. But they men- they basically kind of mention the, you know, the invasion of New York by saying, well, you know, there's kind of half the city got destroyed because aliens yeah. dropped down on it. So yeah. since, since the incident... Yeah, since the Hulk tore some buildings down. <laughs> Be fair, it wasn't just him. That's true. Uh, but what I found interesting is that because you get to see the scene with the bad guys meeting and they all basically say, look, anytime one of these mass vigilantes shows up, our margins go up 3%. This is good for us. Mm. Which was I thought was actually a really interesting um, you know, area of it to, for the show to delve into. You know, What did crime become in an era of superheroes? Yeah. This is and... one of the issues with putting all of your sh- your um, show's episodes out at once, since there does feel like a rush for everyone to watch it, and then there was a rush for everyone to write the reviews and think pieces about it, as we saw with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which was just exhausting. Yeah, I think the AV Club kind of does their best. I think they do the best that kind of anybody does, because Slate just sort of pukes everything up all at once, and it's ridiculous. The AV Club tries to space it out. Like, I think with Orange is the New Black, they said, yes, we know that all 13 episodes dropped at the same time. We're going to review two a week, and you're going to have to live with it. And for Kimmy Schmidt, I think they did one a day. I'm not too sure what they're doing with Daredevil. But they're really kind of experimenting to try and figure out what's manageable for the site and for people which i appreciate yeah i think when you have that rush to get the content out first which is the thing that you do in this internet driven culture driven by link bait and getting as many clicks as possible but i do think that the risk is that the the writing itself will suffer Mm -hmm. and you know i go to places like the av club because i like the writing there's time dedicated to it even for it usually you know well they have screeners so there's not that worry for a yeah. lot of getting the content out quickly, but there isn't uh they're not they're not racing with anyone here and I appreciate that. Because mm-hmm. it did feel like with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I haven't seen, um, that ev- all the articles were like, hey, this is kind of racist. No, it's not racist at all. Well, I think it's a bit racist. Well you don't, and then it kind of you know once one person had written the first article, which was a very necessary discussion to have from what I've heard of the show. And yeah. these discussions are always very important to have. I worry that given that the majority of writers writing these pieces seem to be white, it did just seem to be a who can get there first situation. Mm-hmm. Kimmy Schmidt is such an interesting experience for me as somebody who doesn't watch the show, but a lot of the conversation about it happened, you know, on my Twitter timeline and on my Tumblr dash. There, there was just this fascinating compressed timeline of, of a show being critically acclaimed and falling from grace and people talking about it. You know what I mean? Like, it was almost like this little microcosm of, oh my god, this show, it's so great. Oh wait, there's a racist thing. Oh wait, no, we don't like it. But you know, like, it all happened so fast? As opposed to the way it does with a show where people get years to watch, you know, or a whole year to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of, I don't know, it was it was so weird to watch. Like, am I supposed to like this? Oh no, we don't like this today because haven't you heard racism? Oh, but we like it again because it's necessary for, I don't know, women. And and now we're just back to gifts on Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote a piece on it for Smart Bitches, which has not come out yet. I'm not too sure when it's going to be posted. And in which I'm like, okay, this show is amazing for these reasons. It's problematic for these reasons. There's a middle ground. Congratulations. Nuance. Yay. Because... Otherwise, otherwise, expecting things to be 100% perfect or else they're terrible. We've said this before. We've been saying this for 31 episodes now. Oh my god, stop. 
because it, it doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. There are certain aspects of Kimmy Schmidt which are amazing and 100% necessary. And there are other aspects that I just really wish they hadn't done that. And there are other aspects that this makes me uncomfortable. So I will link you over to Cat Chow at Code Switch and ha- let see what she has to say about it. Because Her article is really wonderful on that. It really is. So I think you should watch it. I think everybody should watch it. I think everybody should be aware of the things that are amazing and the things that are less amazing. I think everyone should just watch what they want to watch and then not have their opinion dictated by conflicting opinion pieces. If you want to turn to them for further analysis or if you're having trouble putting your own thoughts into words, as a lot of us do, myself included, they are there for you to turn to. But it's not like you should have your computer open in one screen of Netflix and the other and having them tell you how to feel about everything. Yep. Uh, that, is, that is one of the terrible things about the Netflix programming is the is the rush. And you see the cycle that you see of every single television show play out in the course of a week instead of, you know, several months, months like it's yeah. supposed to. Right. Yep. And the, you know, the Tumblr outrage, the Twitter internet outrage machine turns on and on. Look at the rise and fall of Trevor Noah. <laughs> Which was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I mean... The sad thing about the rise and fall of Trevor Noah is that I used to like Patton Oswalt. Mm-hmm. Tweet 24 out of 56. Yeah. Tweet longer is a thing, Patton. I guess the Twitterist is kind of ridiculous, but I actually just so disagree so much with what he said that I was just... By the end of it, it made me sad. Yeah. He Didn't he do that when the Daniel Tosh rape comments came yep. out he says no we got to talk back against hecklers this is shouting down freedom of speech or some nonsense like that and it's like actually the best example of freedom of speech is to shout back at someone it's kind of rude but it's still freedom of speech mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah I will say I don't think that the 24 hour cycle rise and fall of Trevor Noah would have happened if he was white no definitely not definitely not like, if they'd got Louis C.K., like Comedy Central apparently wanted, someone who has been extremely problematic in the past, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Guarantee it. Yep. Hell, if they got Amy Poehler, who was the other person they were angling for, it wouldn't have happened either. I think there would have been a certain level of nasty, you know, backlash because, oh my god, women on late night television. But I don't think any of the, you know, icky jokes that she's made with Tina Fey would have been called into question. It would have been just such a good thing for the women. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Although I also think, partially, it's also because Trevor Noah is such an unknown. Yeah. So the, yeah. the dig into his past is also motivated by the fact that people, you know, like if it's Louis C.K. or Amy Poehler, these are these these people these are, are known. known quantities, and we yeah. already we already know what what Louis C.K.'s issues are. Mm-hmm. They've been out front and center for quite a while. Well, Trevor Noah is also South African, so the issues he's faced with race are wildly different from that mm-hmm. of many other parts of the world, including America. He w- he is a mixed-race man whose parents were together during apartheid when it was literally illegal for them to be so. Yeah, yeah. there was a news article, I think, that mentions that it was, or maybe it's actually straight out of his Wikipedia entry, that it was, his mother could not put his father on his birth certificate because then they'd be arrested. They had mm-hmm. to, if they were walking down the street, one of them would have to be on the other street. Just pretend that they weren't yeah. together. Which is why when I once saw, uh, when before like the fall part, when it was just like his name was put out there, I saw one review, pre-review of him saying how, oh, you know, he's going to be so apolitical. Like he has no political credentials. He doesn't know how to talk about even like the social <laughs> issues and politics. I was like, huh? a mixed race man from South Africa. I think he's lived some of the issues you only talk about. Mm-hmm. His comedy is not apolitical. I mean, the, mo- the moment you start talking about your family being a mixed race family during apartheid, you can't call it apolitical. Mm-hmm. No. I think he's a very talented comedian. A lot of my friends are big fans of him. He's performed at the Fringe for a while. Um, so they get to do the whole, oh, I saw him live before he was famous thing, which is, oh, bless you guys. Well, I saw the QI episode in which he was so sexy he seduced a lesbian. <laughs> this is a thing that happens. He's so and good on QI. I wish he'd been on it more. So yeah, let's... Less, I mean, being angry is good, but don't 
let your anger be dictated by people who troll through Twitter for tweets out of context. Mm -hmm. Think for yourselves. Live your own lives. Run free. <laughs> like what you like. <laughs> it's okay. Be you. You're great. Yep. Like Twin Peaks and X-Files. Segway time. Uh, oh, that was swish. Nicely done. <clears throat> it's alive! It's dead! It's al We've had the prequel, the sequel, the remake, and now we have the Lazarus. Yeah. And you know the first people to perk up at this were those poor, poor Firefly fans. Oh, oh get Firefly, over. let it go! Let it go! Let Nobody it needs go. to see anything that would result in Adam Baldwin's career doing well, okay? For the love of fuck, oh, yes. I just... That man... Okay, can I have a two-second sideline about Adam Baldwin? Absolutely. When that asshole put a picture of himself in uniform as his fucking Twitter avatar, even my my husband, who's actually served, you know, looked at it and it was like, look up fucking stolen valor, you fucking asshole. That is a crime. Okay. Cyber wait, 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 whoa. Is it actually a crime? Is it actually? It it's is, called... Yes, it is. I mean, you can, but wearing medals that you have not earned is, uh, yeah, that is a crime. It's actually called Stolen Valor. Like, that yep. is the name of the act. Yep. That is a thing. Fucking Adam Baldwin. Yeah. Sorry, back to Twin Peaks. Where we're going back to. Because, maybe? Because David maybe. Lynch? Or not? We don't know? Really, I, in my opinion, this feels like David Lynch is angling for more money. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Which he has every right to do. I mean, he hasn't actually done any real big work since Inland Empire which was 2007 so he's kind of been out of the, the you know out of the Hollywood scene for a long time now and the last time he was trying to work in television was when he made the pilot for Mulholland Drive which never got picked up and he turned it into a film so I think he's got every right to be weary I have no idea what Showtime were doing announcing anything about this before it was even written on the paper you have contracts for a reason this, the amateur level here is astounding. So, does this feel like both Showtime and Lynch are playing the game of using, of kind of just using the public as a negotiations technique? You know, if we announce it on Twitter, then, well, hey, he has to do it because he can't back away publicly. Yo, yeah, well, if I say on Twitter very politely that I'm not doing it and it's your fault, you're going to have to give me the money. I think there's a lot of that. I also think mm. that Showtime have underestimated the appeal that David Lynch himself has. For a man who makes incredibly fucked up pieces of work, he's a very lovely soft-spoken man and people like him for that. And he talks about coffee and sends really strange tweets. So that does play in his favour. And you also have people like Kyle McLaughlin who has a Twitter account. Mm. And I believe Sherilyn Fenn just got one too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Pause. Let's let's do a very brief overview timeline because I always feel like we lunch. I'm sure all of our listeners know what happened, <laughs> but maybe there's like one who hasn't. I think it's only fair to do uh, a bit of a recap. Raiden, Ooh, I do you, did not put, watch... put your lawyer on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> opening I... opening statements. Twin Peaks was a show that I never watched. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> fair Sorry. enough. No, I didn't mean a recap of Twin Peaks. I mean a recap of what happened with Twin Peaks, or like with the situation. But the recap I, being, because I didn't watch Twin Peaks, I was like, oh, that's a thing that's happening. Okay, and I really didn't pay attention because I don't care. Failed, failed again. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm the worst. <laughs> um, okay, so the recap being is Twin Peaks. Um, Twenty-five years ago, there was this. Sci-fi is the wrong thing to call it. Um, crazy as crazy sauce. Yeah, David Lynch made a show, and Mark Frost, <laughs> and Mark Frost made a show called Twin Peaks, uh, a kind of magical realism crime investigation show. It was very big in Russia, by the way, very big. It ran for two seasons, and this year suddenly. There was an announcement, oh my god, they're reviving the show. And not like a reboot where they're remaking the original premise with new actors. No, no, no. They are picking up the story 25 years later. with And, you know, Kyle McLaughlin, who's the star of the show, is uh, is back on. 
And then it was like, oh, well, the announcement's made, but it's actually not set in stone. But everybody's already so excited because, like, many shows that, you know, were popular when they actually aired, this one has a really big cult following. Like, it is a thing. No, but now that it's been announced, okay, no, no, it's happening. It's happening for sure. Kyle MacLachlan is on board, so we know for sure it's happening. And then, what, about a week ago this happened? David Lynch releases a lovely, very polite tweet about how, well, he and Showtime just couldn't see eye to eye on the budget that the script he envisioned would require. So he's stepping, he loves Twin Peaks, but he has to step back. What? What? You, you, you can't make Twin Peaks without David Lynch. What are you talking about? The thing is, they did make Twin Peaks without David Lynch. The entire second season, except for really the end, was without his involvement. And the show ended up tanking as a result after being the cultural phenomenon that it was for the first season. So Showtime have historical precedent to know that you don't let this show happen without David Lynch. Which is the level of bad negotiating going on here is what's really astounding. So then, of course, Kyle MacLachlan and Sherilyn Fenn, who's one of the other stars of the show, and um, I think some of the other actors as well, began tweeting things like, well, look, without David, it's not happening. And I don't know how set in stone their involvement is. It's certainly possible that it's still like a commitment in words, but not yet in paper. So maybe they have a way to back out. So, well, you can't, it's, it's going to fall apart. So, of course, now Showtime is probably, Showtime released a statement, something to the point of, oh, no, we're still, we're still doing our best to provide David, you know, with what he needs to make the show happen. Which is why... It really looks like both Showtime and David Lynch are using the public as a ne- as leverage in their negotiations. Like it feels like possibly one or both of them announced the revival before it was set in stone just to push the other into it. And I really, really do think that David Lynch, David Lynch's, you know, very polite. Oh, you know, it didn't work out. Twitter announcement was a way for him to show Showtime. It's not going to happen if I don't make it happen. Now, that said, that doesn't mean that I think it was unethical or wrong for him to do it. Mm-hmm. It's I just think that, you know, as a public, just know you're kind of getting, well, you're not, you're not getting played, but you're being sold to show. David Lynch, this isn't about selling Twin Peaks to the public. We, I mean, yeah, we buy DVDs and, and whatnot, but that's not how TV works. TV sells its viewers to its advertisers. Mm-hmm. You sell, David Lynch is trying to show Showtime that he's the one with the product, i.e. the audience. He's trying to show Showtime that the money they pay him, they're not paying, they're paying him to make the show. What they're really paying him for is bringing in the viewers. So by showing how much, how much the public is behind him specifically, he's trying to show them that he has the goods. Mm-hmm. Is it weird to think of yourself as the goods in a financial transaction? But that's the weird thing about this massive nostalgia wagon that has, seems to have erupted over the past couple of years. It, there are great benefits to it, and there is always a small part in your head that's like, oh my god, you're pandering to me exactly with that one thing that I like. But it's ultimately your uh, target demographic. And you do have to sort of look at yourself in that very impersonal manner to understand why all of this is happening. Mm-hmm. And that makes it all feel a little more depressing and soulless, but it ultimately is depressing and soulless <laughs> yeah i don't think they don't want to bring back twin peaks for any sort of reasons of artistic or creative integrity maybe david lynch does i don't know but i don't think that was what was at the forefront of showtime's mind when they they tried to get this on board in the same way that i don't think fox bringing on the x-files has anything to do with well those movies were just so brilliant we couldn't wait <laughs> to have more of it <laughs> as our other lazarus is has anybody even watched the last two seasons of that show no. You know, the, when X-Files was on, they used to show it late at night and I occasionally caught episodes of it and I'm still kind of haunted by it. There was a really <laughs> scary episode involving these inbred hillbillies in a house. Oh, yep. yes. And it is the most horrific thing I've ever seen. Oh, and Fluke Man as well, which is just life running. Uh, yep. yep. Everybody remembers those, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing is, I don't remember even that much about the, the, the main arc episodes. Like, I remember the story vaguely, but it's really those standalones that were particularly effective that stand out. And anyway, yes. we all watched it from Mulder and Scully. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's the thing that, that um, Fox and X-Files have over Twin Peaks and Showtime on this. They've got Chris Carter and they've got David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, who clearly all love and respect each other dearly and talk openly about loving working with each other. Mm-hmm. So here's a question. 
if we watched so much of X-Files basically for the unresolved sexual tension between Mulder and Scully, are we gonna really love it when we go back and, you know, it's resolved with a baby? Because isn't that where they left off? I'm pretty sure there was a baby in the end. I honestly can't remember. That was never the fun thing about the show. The, the chase the is always better. There's, I, I haven't even watched the finale, but I remember like reading reviews of the last two seasons, and I'm fairly certain they have a son named William? David? Something like that? William, I think. But there was a baby son in the end. It was all resolved. It's X-Files not X-Files without the, you know, they touch hands and, the, and like all the 16-year-olds around the land go, <gasps> But there's a really big resurgence of horror happening right now. Mm-hmm. Not just on television with things like Hannibal, with American Horror Story, Penny Dreadful, but with film. You, uh, the Babadook did phenomenally well. It Follows is currently getting rave reviews and great box office. There's always going to be an audience for great horror and great sci-fi. So why not sort of bring the one of the great pioneers of that back of the past 20 years? Because we did it with Alien and we got Prometheus. But we're also getting alien. Okay, but there are some people who would argue that that's not actually a bad thing. Those people are nuts, but whatever. (laughs) We're also getting that thing is we're now getting Alien Five with Neil Blomkamp. Mm Mm-hmm. You say it like it's a good thing. Have you seen his movies? I have not seen Chappie. My friend very much enjoyed Chappie. His defense of it has become apparently the only person in the world who enjoyed (laughs) Chappie. Guys, Uh, after Elysium, (laughs) I was done. This is the thing that the the one thing that concerns me most about Neil Blomkamp directing Alien Five isn't so much Blomkamp himself, but it feels representative of something that's happening in Hollywood right now, which is let's take all of those up and coming directors who are creating new and original work and just hand them big blockbuster movies, which on the one hand shows a great display of faith in these people and really wanting to nurture them and you know make them big stars in this system, but they're all just going to become franchise cogs in the machine which isn't necessarily a bad thing i mean if ryan johnson does great work with the star wars maybe more power to him mm-hmm. but for given how that we're all complaining about there's nothing original anymore why are they not making non-superhero blockbusters that aren't based on toys or whatever it feels like there's a dissonance between what audiences are asking for and the reception they give the things that they're giving they're given mm-hmm because even something like Jurassic World, I believe, is being directed by some indie filmmaker. Okay, Jurassic World, I'm actually looking forward to. Anna it's, it's Chris Pratt and the it's raptor Andy, of friendship. It's, yeah. it's Andy Dwyer, dinosaur guy. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Jurassic World, directed by Colin Trevorrow? Well, he made a film called Safety Not Guaranteed, which is this like tiny indie um, comedy about time travel. Which yeah. um, Aubrey Plaza is in from from Parks and Rec. From Parks and Rec, and Jake Johnson is in it from Kristen New Girl. Kristen Bell is in it, apparently. Yeah, I I tried to watch it. See, if we're talking about uh, horror slash sci-fi directors who are kind of indie and maybe deserve the big break, you know who I would have loved to see on Alien instead of Neil Blomkamp? Alex Garland. Twenty Eight Days Later, Sunshine and Red. Mm-hmm. Well, his new film Ex Machina just came out in America. Which is Donald Gleason, Oscar Isaac, and Alicia Vikander, who is in everything. Oh, I'm, oh, that film. Okay, that, I, I didn't remember the, uh, the title, but I know the film you're talking about. Yeah, that does look interesting. But you also have someone like uh, Josh Trank, who made Chronicle, which is a brilliant small sci-fi movie. And he's now doing Fantastic Four and a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. You, you've got these directors who show this great potential, and I can understand, say, you know, well, let's give them a bigger movie and see what they can do. But You've also got to, you can't just rely on these 100 million, 200 million dollar tent poles because as we've seen, that has smothered so many studios in the past. Mm. And the films that suffer aren't, are the, the smaller ones, the 30, 40 million dollar things. Like a Chronicle, which may not have got made otherwise. That was made for 12 million dollars and it made over 125 million worldwide. I think you're just quoting George Clooney's speech now. The big movies define it's the little ones. They need the attention. Well, I consulted Amal beforehand, but she was too busy having her own life. So it's hard being a trophy husband. But even something like they've announced that they're doing a live action Winnie the Pooh movie. And it's being directed by the guy that made Listen Up Philip, which is this small misanthropic 
indie comedy about pretentious hipster writers. And I'm like, yeah, of course you would be the guy to make the Winnie the Pooh movie. I was about to say, has Garfield taught them nothing? But then I imagined one of you telling me, don't you know, it made like billions of dollars. Well, they made two movies of it, so it must have made some money. I don't think right. it's necessarily a bad idea to make a live Winnie the Pooh movie. I mean, everyone thought that the Paddington movie was going to be terrible and it ended up making a lot of money and people loved it. Yeah, so there's that. So bears. Bears. So bears. Bears and aliens. Bears in your childhood, basically. <laughs> right. Oh, man, I can't wait until they do a live-action Lilo and Stitch movie. Oh, God, because they'll cast Caucasian people. I don't know. They did. They actually cast Hawaiian people in the voice roles for that movie. Yeah, and John Lasseter hated it. Yeah, well, John Lasseter's a moron. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oh, well, here's the question. Since we're on Disney, what do you think of Disney's current strategy of let's buy up everybody's childhood and recycle it which is kind of the thing that they've always done right but now it's being done with such effective precision that i'm i'm half really really impressed and half horrified because i don't want disney to own everything that i love right i mean look i really liked for all of my issues with it i really liked the live action cinderella and i am looking forward to the live-action Beauty and the Beast, even though casting Dan Stevens, I think, was a mistake. Yeah, I'm I don't get that. I, most, of the, most of the casting for that movie, like, the main roles, I'm sort of, uh, and then they cast people like Ian McKellen as Cogsworth, and I'm like, okay, you have me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, war, exactly. the, war, the singing wardrobe is being played by Audra McDonald. The wardrobe! Right. So Six-time Tony winner Audra McDonald is the wardrobe. Yeah. Okay, but to be fair, Angela Lansbury was a teapot. That's There's true. that too. <laughs> and Cogsworth was David Ogden Steers, who, mm-hmm. you know, I would love it if they had just gone back and gotten him for it. That would have been hilarious. Okay, but now I remember that Jerry Arbuck isn't here anymore and you made me sad. Yeah, exactly. And then this casting news makes me sad about Jerry Arbuck all over again. So, <laughs> Have they cast Lumiere yet? Because I know who should play him, but they won't get him. I don't believe do so. I think they should get Jean Dujardin. Oh. Oh. Just yeah. think about it visually. Yes. Yes, they'll probably get Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't. They're trying to get him for Fantastic Beasts or Waiter Find him, and I'm not happy. <laughs> I'll stop him from playing transgender women, I guess. Uh, yeah. So here's why I actually think I'm kind of okay with Disney buying up everybody's childhoods and it's that Disney has so far shown an ability to be hands-off with the properties they acquire you know they got Pixar and they didn't just say okay no you're just Disney now you're making movies and like they're still Pixar films they have Marvel and unlike Warner Brothers with DC is it yeah Marvel is still kind of allowed to be its own thing and it's it's just this idea of we can do cross distribution or we can like do all the intellectual property in other venues, but they don't necessarily then c- proceed to disband the property they acquire and just absorb it in and completely smother it. They've let those units kind of be their thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not that scary when they acquire another property because you see that in many cases they've shown the ability to do it correctly and to respect its autonomy. Yeah, I get that. I mean, they're not EA, so we don't have to worry about that. And most of what they've done so far has been, if not always critically loved, it's been commercially hugely successful. So this is a strategy that has always worked for Disney, which is, we are your childhoods. Mm-hmm. And right now, the people who you know, grew up in the Disney Renaissance era, they've got some disposable income, they like their cartoons, they like their superheroes, and they like their spaceships. I'm talking about myself mostly, but you know. <laughs> no. And it, it's working. Um, and I think creatively they are making some interesting decisions. I mean, they could have gotten anyone to direct Cinderella and they got Kenneth Branagh. Mm-hmm. Who is considered an auteur by many. He, he wasn't really, you know, a goon for hire. So this was clearly something they thought, well, we actually want to make this good. We don't want to just make money, at, you know. Like the, the very famous Michael Eisner quote, we're not here to make art, all we're here to do is make money. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's along those lines. It's a very, very famous quote. And now that they've got this um, 
the, the sheer amount of buzz that's surrounding the Beauty and the Beast movie alone, people are obsessed with it. They want to know who's being cast in every role. They want to know what the Beast is going to look like. They want to know what the costumes are like. They want to know about the singing. They've got this perpetual hype machine going from day one, and I think it will pay off, especially for Beauty and the Beast of all things, which is, but if you want to really put a name to it, it's considered their best movie. And people who consider that are correct. It's my favorite. Okay, have they cast Gaston? Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Because, you know, as important as it is to cast all the good guys, really, oh. I think Gaston is gonna... Oh. Have they? I'm trying to look it up. I'm seeing Patrol? rumors of Luke Evans. Yes, he has been cast as Gaston. Yes! Do you know what the best casting for me is LeFou, who's going to be played by Josh Gad. Oh, nice. Which is so perfect. <laughs> but, I mean, they've, they've got Bill Condon in to do it, who is a, you know, an Oscar-winning filmmaker, and he's worked in the Disney wheelhouse before, and he knows how to do a musical. So, and they're bringing Alan Menken in again. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anyone can make you cry with music, it's Alan Menken. Oh, he does all the time. The script rewrite is being done by Stephen um, Chosky, is that how it's pronounced? The guy who wrote Perks of Being a Wallflower. Okay. I understand he's going to be very closely related to the musical itself, the, the stage musical. Mm. Oh, Emma Thompson is Mrs. Potts. Yeah. But the, the stage musical was on Broadway for like 15 years. Yeah. And Kevin Klein is playing Belle's dad as well. Yeah. I'm looking it up, and Dan Stevens is only eight years older than Emma Watson, but it still kind of creeps me out. I think it's because I'm so used to thinking of her as a kid because of Hermione. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that casting at all. My favorite thing Dan Stevens ever did was an interview on British morning TV for the guest, and the host said, you must have to beat off a lot of American men to get this role. And he immediately started laughing and says, I'm sorry, what's so funny? You must have had to beat off a lot of big guys. <laughs> <laughs> She genuinely didn't get it. It was very funny. But there's the question. Do you think that the Beast is going to be CGI? Because that could look really bad. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, are they casting him just to be the voice and then, like, you know, five seconds at the end where he's human form? Or I think they're going to do it like um, motion capture, probably. Probably, Which, yeah. Well, that, that sounds like it would make the most sense. The yeah. thing is, in the Disney cartoon, the voice of the prince and the voice of the Beast Weren't they too different? Because the beast was a lot deeper, if I remember correctly. I mean, the yeah. prince had like one, one. He said "bell" once, and that was it. But he sounded a lot different. I believe so. That sounds right. Sense. But they recently in France made a new movie of La Belle et la Bête, mm -hmm. and Vincent Cassel played the beast, and that mm -hmm. was CGI. I believe it did not look good. Oh. Oh, I forgot about that. I meant to see that. Me too, because Vincent Cassel. I really, I really love the original La Belle et la Bête. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. I actually like it more than the Disney Beauty and the Beast. Because the the Vincent Cassel one we're talking about is actually a remake of the um, the, the black and white famous French one, right? The Jean Cocteau movie, yeah, yeah from the forties, which is one of the most beautiful movies you'll ever see. Mm -hmm. It's oh, I'm I'm slightly obsessed with it. It's just one of my favorite movies, and I love it, and it's so pretty. It's so dreamlike as well, and all the costumes and the sets. It's like if you every, every gothic movie you have seen from the fifties onwards is so clearly influenced by it. Yeah, it's the movie Andrew Lloyd Webber must have watched before the Phantom of the Opera was made. Let's put it that way. Definitely, and there were definitely parts of the Schumacher Phantom that were homages, inspired, total ripoffs. Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> It's very truthful. <laughs> My favourite review of Schumacher's Phantom movie was someone saying there are points where you think he's making The Lost Boys too. <laughs> I don't actually hate that movie, by the way. No, I don't hate it either. The first time I watched it, I got really mad because they moved the chandelier scene. And so I spent the last half of the movie going, how could they have not done the chandelier crash? Like, How? And then they put it at the end, which, yes, okay, that made sense for a movie. But still, I spent half the movie being really mad. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite costumes in a film ever is in that film. It is the Red Death outfit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very surprised they haven't tried to do some sort of reboot of that. 
Oh, give them time. Because that the Lloyd Webber musical isn't the only musical of it. There are actually a couple. Yeah, there was one just called Straight Up Phantom that was... I don't know if it was actually on Broadway, but it was floating around a lot of off-Broadway in the 90s. Yeah, Maury Yeston made it. He wrote the musical Nine, and there was mm-hmm. also a Titanic musical that he did. And I believe he was working, you know, slavishly working over this version of Phantom for many years and was ready to take it to Broadway. And it was like, I'm sorry, this British guy's kind of got here before you. <laughs> don't worry, it probably won't last that long. Uh-huh. <laughs> Poor guy. But I believe it's the community theater version that you can't afford the rights to the Lloyd Webber one, so you just do this one. Yeah. I'm surprised we haven't got a Disney-fied version of that yet, actually. <laughs> then again, I feel like the Lloyd Webber version is already the Disney-fied version of the book, so... Yeah... Mm. Yeah, I actually like the book better than I like the musical because the book is basically a trashy crime novel. Oh yeah, and the musical is—it's something. <laughs> the first time I read the book was before I understood that just because there is a prologue that says this is totally based on real events <laughs> doesn't mean it actually was. I had that issue too. <laughs> No, I, I, I did too. I, I was also too old to know differently, which was the worst part. It's, yeah, like, when read, it's like when you read The Princess Bride, and you're like, oh, I wonder where I can get the unabridged version of this. Aww. <laughs> so lovely for it. I asked actual bookshops if they had it. <laughs> old James. Old James. <laughs> now that we're in the era of the Lazarus and, you know, no TV show is dead forever. They're kind of like comic book superheroes. They just keep on coming back. If you could have one of your TV shows back from the dead, which one would it be? Ooh. <laughs> Not fucking Firefly. Firefly already got his chance. Yeah, exactly. I'm not talking remake. I'm talking Twin Peaks style pick up where we left off and X amount of time has passed. Oh, Carnivale. Mm. Mm. Which is my favorite TV show of all time. And it got cancelled after two seasons on a cliffhanger. Because I've read Daniel Nelfley, showrunner's um, plans for what would have happened next, which is as World War II is coming up, how the battle for good and evil continues over that. And it sounded amazing, and I really want that. That would be my choice. I don't know. I know that a lot of people would really like to see Pushing Daisies. Possibly. And even though I don't... (laughs) I didn't like that show... I know a lot of people really do, and I would like to see it come back to make those How people happy. How am I still friends with you? You never liked the things I like. <laughs> because I called you up one day and said, hey, want to do a podcast? That's, That's why. That is basically how it happened. <laughs> Just got a tweet. You're on a podcast. Hi, ah, okay. <laughs> oh, I said, hey, Scottish girl, email me. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yep. You were like, <laughs> what? Who the fuck okay. are you? <laughs> <laughs> I have tangentially talked to you a couple of times. What games? <laughs> I was I think a pushing Daisy show would actually work really well, and I have a feeling that Brian Fuller has a box somewhere with like four seasons of that show written. Yeah, and he has acted them out several yeah. times with Lee Pace whenever he comes around to visit. <laughs> Just one more time, Lee. It's okay. I'll go play Chuck, and I'll get some pink film, and it will be wonderful. <laughs> we love Brian Fuller. We just want to say that, but you know, he is fanboy in chief. Yep. <laughs> They had the recent um, Battle of the Shows on, was it Esquire? Yeah. Where you had to vote for which show you would want to see come back. The Pushing Daisies fans came out. Came out. And and even the Hannibal fans who are not Pushing (laughs) Daisies fans were like, no, we'll we'll vote for Pushing Daisies because Fuller promised us, promised us sneak peeks of season three if we won. So, (laughs) yeah, okay, no problem. (laughs) <laughs> We're here for the assist. Also, the other option was Firefly, and I'm no. just so ready for that shit to be done. Firefly got its chance. It had a movie. No one watched that show, and it still got a movie. Yeah. So, fucking just, God, let it go, people. Let but this is the thing as well. We're now in a post-cancellation age. Yeah. Because when a show gets cancelled, we don't have the panic and cry of oh we'll never see it again we automatically think well who's going to pick it up now will it be Hulu will it be Amazon will it be Yahoo for some reason right and there's part of me that really likes that but I feel like there's going to get to a point where we may never have closure with a TV show Mm -hmm. look at something like what happened with Community yeah it's been cancelled no it hasn't it's back yes it's back no the showrunner's gone oh he's back it's been cancelled Yahoo (laughs) Community fans just have PTSD at this point (laughs) 
<laughs> must be exhausted. And it really whiplash. is. I'm in the middle of a Babylon 5 rewatch, which I do at least once a year. And that show has actually attempted a sequel. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I'm not sure anybody has seen it. <laughs> I'm bothered. Well, it tried a couple of times, right? Yeah, possibly. All I know is canonically Marcus Cole is still in like cryo freeze so they can unfreeze him so I can have a show about the sexy ranger. Yeah. When as we were talking, I was thinking, oh, Babylon 5, I mean, that would be kind of... But they wouldn't, it wouldn't really be a Lazarus because the main show storyline is over. That universe just has, like, more to play in it. Mm-hmm. Stargate, after the universe was done, you know, has kind of went away. But you know what show we actually amazingly haven't had on air in, what, 15 years now? We haven't had a Star Trek on TV. I mean, yeah, we have the movies. But isn't it time to bring Star Trek back onto TV I'm surprised they haven't done it, given the movies. Like, it just feels like it would be a natural progression. Who has the Star Trek rights? Because Brian Fuller has been angling for that job for basically his entire life. And he, as he, as he put it, he would have the captain play played by Angela Bassett. And then mm-hmm. the second in command would be Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is... I, I feel like this man is Tumblr sometimes. Like, a nicer version of Tumblr. Yeah. And the casting kind of shows that. I mean, I'm not a massive Star Trek fan. But it feels very strange to have, to not have one going, especially with everything else coming back. But the, yeah. the, the third movie is coming soon, and they dropped the 9-11 denier as director, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And one of the directors is Justin Lin, I believe, from Fast and Furious movies, mm-hmm. which feels like a good, good director choice, you know? Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, CBS. Okay. Once again, why have they not done it? This feels like their wheelhouse. They're busy doing procedurals. Space procedural. <laughs> My main worry with that would just be that they would keep doing tie-ins to the Big Bang Theory. Ugh. Ugh, that's not even funny. Okay, so it's tangentially connected to that. With all of the movies that Disney are bringing back or doing live-action versions of and whatnot, what one would you like to see? Lilo and Stitch. I think it'd be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, we're we're getting a Mulan movie, and Mulan is my Ooh. second favorite one. I think Mulan will be very interesting. I know there's been a lot of talk well Disney will whitewash it. Do you know why they won't whitewash it? Because China is the biggest box office in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nicole Behery said she wants to be a mermaid, so obviously we need to make her Ariel. Well, isn't Sofia okay. Coppola doing that? Not for Disney, but there is a little mermaid movie going on. Yeah, well, there if it's is. not for Disney, it's going to have the completely brutal original <laughs> yeah that's going to be the the hans christian anderson version god that is the most fucked up movie ever Just... i know yeah the, well, Can, the, let's not do that do i don't want no. it to be sad <laughs> they will do it for won't they like the disney little mermaid version i think oh, they will have to yeah. wait a while for because the reason i don't think they're going to do a snow white movie for a while is because they have to wait till the huntsman sequel comes out mm-hmm. because we've already had those two dueling Snow White movies with that and Mirror mm-hmm. Mirror and I actually like Mirror Mirror better. Mm-hmm. No way they're gonna do Pocahontas, right? I mean, they had we had the New World. I know it's not a Disney movie, but <laughs> Terrence Malick as a Disney director would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'll do Pocahontas. I think that would be far too politically fraught for them to do so, and good because that movie is terrible. Uh, yeah, unless they found a Native American director to do it. Which would be brilliant, but I don't think they would. Like, unless they, they like call up Sherman Alexi and say, "Hey, do you want to make a Pocahontas movie?" Right, and I think most Native American directors worth their salt would be like, "Nope." Yep, that would be the thing. Nope. <laughs> do you think they do Aladdin? Yes, because Aladdin's yeah. on Broadway right now. Yeah. Except that here's the thing. You know how the Prince of Persia was all white actors in the Middle East? Yeah. Except the bad guy, because of course. Well, because they're not. White in on the stage show, if I remember correctly, they actually cast yes. actors of color. The genie is a very large black dude. I feel like they do that for the stage, but they won't do it for the movies. I have this theory as to why, and it all sounds very classist in my head. Well, there's supposed to be an Arabian Nights movie coming out soon, or they're going to start making, and that's nothing but white people. Do, mm-hmm. do, do they know it's porn? Do they know if the One Thousand One Nights is just porn? No. I don't know how many of the people involved actually read the original stories. I feel like they may have seen a panto version of it at some point. I've read half of the original stories because at some point you are five fucking layers deep and you do not remember the, the story three layers up anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because 
the only thing that happens in it is characters have sex with various other characters. Not all of them human. And also, it is so amazingly descriptive. Her breasts were like mounds of sand. You know, he... He besieged... They have sex. It's like his cannons besieged her castle. (laughs) No, that is is a little quote. Oh my god, that's like Warcraft fanfiction. That's amazing. There's... There's... lesbian sex there's sex with genies it's very beautiful porn because like i said mounds of sand and her her belly was like dunes and her breasts were like fountains and i don't know everybody's beautiful and everybody fucks everybody else okay. i mean no wonder she lived for fonts in one night so, i mean there were ba- he was basically sitting there jerking off and <laughs> she told him you know yeah. naughty genie stories well that's why the disnification um stories happens you know, the Little Mermaid, She, every step she takes is like walking on knives and she kind of throws herself she off of a... She sleeps on a rug at the foot of his bed. And, um, yeah. 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 If you, it's something like, you know, they gave a Hunchback of Notre Dame a happy ending. They <laughs> made Pocahontas a supermodel who falls in love with John Smith and that's completely stops the colonializing of America. Yep, it's all done. It was yep. just one bad guy who wanted treasure. It wasn't anything else. And, you know, Aladdin, of course they'll change that. Mm-hmm. I, my, I, the thing that I think would stop them from making an Aladdin live-action movie is the shadow of Robin Williams. Because mm-hmm. that movie is so inextricably tied with him. And even for the guy who plays the genie on Broadway, is you know won a Tony for it and just clearly made the role his own, it's a bit different to make that for a wider audience compared to a Broadway audience. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it will still happen, but not for a while. So... Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. Because I do like that movie, but it is not without its problems. And oh. I have no idea how you make a movie of that without all of the Robin Williams riffing. Mm-hmm. The guy who plays no. Aladdin on stage is very attractive, though. That is true. We'll link a picture of him to the sh- in the show notes. Pictures. You can't say somebody's attractive and then not have pictures. Right, I, exactly. I'm we're, linking, I'm <laughs> we're cruel, but... Not unfair. <laughs> this is the problem with an audio podcast. You don't get the the visual delights that the three of us get. That is true. I think it'll be interesting to see what Disney turn into Broadway shows because that seems to be a step in the brand machine for them. Mm-hmm. Well, Frozen's going to be a Broadway show within the next five years. Well, what comes first, the Broadway show or they're on ice? On ice comes first always. Like on I- Frozen on ice is a no-brainer. To find people yeah. who can sing or anything you just need people who can skate vaguely competently okay well how long until frozen live action eight years yeah hopefully by that point in time Vendina Menzel may have fixed her singing she cannot hit those notes anymore it's, it's getting really hard to watch but I know there's a rumor going that they're going to do a jungle book stage show that one's been going around oh, they did do a, a tryout for it I believe yeah there are two competing live action jungle books coming out I believe both of whom have cast like actual Indian people. Amazing. My friend Sunil is like still in shock. We found this out months ago. He's still in shock. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> the problem with the Jungle Book, I, I was gonna think, you know, bring up the Jungle Book for live action adaptation, but you know, when you're doing live action of something that is mostly not humans, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do? Do you go? humans in makeup do you go animatronic do you go cgi you know the jungle book literally for the most of it just has one human Mm -hmm. so people in costumes is it worth it i'm not sure on stage it's different right because the musicals are the people like that but i mean in terms of making a movie out of it right but we we've had a really well done really glorious life of pie which everyone said was unfilmable so i think yeah, I the very concept the... of that, the unfilmable, I think we're... I don't think that we're over it, but I think that we have new ways to, to, to challenge get around, it because of... I think of, we're finally yeah. at the point in the technology where that's doable. You just... You need the right writer and director behind it. The reason Life of Pi works is because Ang Lee knows what he's doing. Right. Usually he does. Usually. And but then wait, the Hulk... Hulk didn't happen. <laughs> That was. Why are you talking about Hulk? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hallucinated an alternate reality of this world where Eric Bana did a thing, but we all know that didn't happen. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, and and we don't talk about the Ed Norton one either, which is just (laughs) dull. (laughs) 
yes, they did do out-of-town tryouts for a Broadway version of The Jungle Book, but it doesn't seem to have come to anything. So they may be working on that night right now, or they may have just um, abandoned it to a cruise line. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm sorry for any Jungle Book, Jungle Book fans, but think fuck. <laughs> I, I still have so much rage about what Disney did to the story, but also, I want to be like you. You want to make a live-action version of that? You want to live through that again, Disney? You know what I think Disney do? There's money there. Mm-hmm. Which is the thing that we're going to come back to time and time again. Money talks. That's true. Yes. Money talks. Fortunately, the, the thing that Disney does well is they understand that in order to make money, you need to spend money. So they don't cheap out. Showtime. <laughs> Just to bring it back to the topic at hand. <laughs> But we, we've got two Jungle Book movies coming up, and one of them is a Disney film, mm-hmm. and the other one is not. The one that's a Disney film has Bill Murray as Baloo the Bear and Idris Elba as Shere Khan. Yeah. And I believe Lupita Nyong'o is a character in it, but I don't know which one. Bagheera? No, Bagheera is Ben Kingsley. Mm. Christopher Walken is King Louis. <laughs> Wait, is this the Disney or the not Disney? No, this is Disney. This is Disney. It's just because someone's going to have to hold up cue cards as he's performing. <laughs> I want to be like line. Stop <laughs> looking at the camera, Chris. Well, Christopher Walken and that Peter Pan extravaganza. Oh my god. Okay, I think they need to do um, a live stage extravaganza every year and it should have Christopher Walken every year because that is the most tweets they've ever had, I'm, I'm sure. So what should they do this year? Um, what they are doing this year is The Wiz. Which could be great. Although I do hear the Cirque du Soleil is involved somehow. Cirque so. du Soleil is involved somehow and they're doing the whiz. Cirque du Soleil should be involved every year as well. <laughs> Cirque du Soleil and Christopher Walken forgetting his lines. How is this not a match made in heaven? This is going to be the most tweetable things ever. The whiz deserves a good production. I don't think NBC will do it, but it couldn't possibly be any worse than the movie. Where the young child Dorothy is played by Diana Ross. Who at this point in time was like, what, 35? Yeah. <laughs> Of course, there is the other musical coming to TV soon that we may need to talk about. I have this feeling of dread, like, oh my god, what have I forgotten? What did I miss? Rocky Horror. Oh! oh. See, I was trying is to it, that it coming, my... Is it coming to TV or is it going to film? Because I, I heard it was going to Fox TV. I heard Fox TV too. Hang on a second, I'll Google it. Made by the guy who brought you High School Musical. Has there ever been a greater mixture of creative minds? TV remake and works at Fox with Kenny Ortega. But also Xanadu. <laughs> oh my god, no. Okay, here's the thing. Right, I like Rocky Horror an awful lot. It's my favorite movie musical. But here's the thing. It's not transgressive anymore. Nope. It was boundary pushing in the 70s. It's a rite of passage for the mainstream now. That's not to say that you couldn't do something interesting with it but its inherent appeal as a fringe cult object of strangeness doesn't exist. That's not a thing anymore because it has moved so much into the the mainstream of pop culture that Glee did an episode on it, albeit one where Frank was played by a woman, but it was still a thing that everyone knew about that they could put it on family hour TV. Yep. So they're calling it the Rocky Horror Picture Show event. <laughs> just, yep. just... When we were actually... This, this is how much Raiden and I have scrubbed it from our memory because we actually were talking about it before we started recording the, the episode. Yep. And at that point, Kaylee said, you guys know that Neil Patrick Harris is going to be Frank. And Raiden and I both went, uh-huh. that is how much Os- the Oscars ruined Neil, pa- Neil Patrick Harris for us. <laughs> like, he has not been cast, let me just say that. The reason he is the most predictable choice is because who else? Because he's the most predictable choice. (laughs) But that's the thing is, who else are they going to go for? Alan Cumming. He won't do it. He won't do it. No, he's too busy right now. He did just finish Cabaret, so I don't think he hasn't got that much in schedule. (laughs) He has things to do. I'm sure (laughs) he he has to wash his hair or something. I don't know. He's not going to do it. So this is this is going to like you said, it was a TV event, right? Yeah, so I feel like, I don't know if it's going to be live. Um, The two are taped event specials, so they're going to just do it like a TV movie. Which means that there's going to be a lot less fun of people forgetting their lines and tripping and just mugging to the camera. But then it does just, why this? I mean, people who want to watch Rocky Horror will watch the movie. Mm -hmm. 
because the movie, the part of the appeal of the movie as well is it's not just this, you know, this transgressive attitude towards gender and sexuality of the seventies. It's also a kitschy parody of nineteen fifties sci-fi. It's supposed to be deliberately kind of cheap looking. Wait, wait, what? What? there's a live grease thing happening. Oh yeah, I heard about this too. It's in the it's in the Rocky Horror article that we'll link, but it says unlike NBC's primetime musicals and Fox's own upcoming Grease, why are we doing a thing? <sighs> Lazarus. Because the ratings were huge for Peter Pan and Sound of Music. No, 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 not the the primetime, the NBC primetime musical I get, but Grease. Everyone knows Grease. Grease is considered the most popular music of all time. You know what? Sure. That is just going to be the Glee cast. I will guarantee you. Like it's some Fox. I think they're just going to bring back the Glee cast, and it's going to be Glee does Grease and. Oh, it's going to be Matthew Morrison, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> Doing his scary face. Oh, I'm forever sad that they never went the way with Glee they were supposed to, which was just to make Mr. Schuster a really dark, evil asshole. Man, Glee had so much promise the first half of the first season. I know. Mm. I've never gone from loving this show to just being so kind of repulsed by it in such a short amount of time. Yeah. I tried, man. I tried. I held on for at least two seasons. My friend watched the entire thing. I don't know how she managed it. No, oh, she okay? Mostly, you know, it's, <laughs> it's hard to talk about. Yeah. Oh. I would just like to shout out to Fox for this Rocky Horror event. Have you seen Raul Esparza sing the Time Warp? <laughs> <laughs> but Raul has better things to do with his time too. His hair also needs washing. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? He's on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. He can take some time out from that. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, the, 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 the reason that this will exist is for all of you guys to get on Twitter with several bottles of things very, very strong and potent. Yeah. And then people will quickly forget about it because they'll go watch the movie instead or they'll go watch the stage show, you know? Mm -hmm. this, this thing excels with participation, which is one of the reasons it's going to be so great to tweet along to. Yeah. The, the tweet along is, is why they're doing it. Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. BuzzFeed will be just ecstatic that night. Oh my god, we can use this tweet and this tweet and this gift that we won't credit and this tweet. So I love the um the IO9 headline Fox rebooting Rocky Horror into a TV, TV movie again. We guess. <laughs> Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> this may not actually happen as well. It's worth noting several years ago MTV said they were going to remake it and they were going to cast Russell Brand as Frank. So this could have been worse. Also, Anthony Stewart. You, you, you can't so cool. actually see yeah. what face I just made. <laughs> no, but I am currently looking at a gif of Christopher Walken as Hook rising as Hook to the screen, so it does fit quite well. Just worth noting as well, Anthony Stewart Head has played Frank several times. I'm sure he may still be available. Hmm. Meanwhile, we still don't know if Gallivant is getting a season two. Come on, love your original properties. Yeah, stop you can't complain about remakes if you don't watch any of the original stuff or at least give it a chance. Which we mm -hmm. did, because Gallivant was amazing. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> because Timothy, Timothy Olmelson, am I getting his name right? Yeah. Because he was amazing with Vinnie Jones and King Richard and Gareth forever. Yeah. They're meant for each other. Yeah. Best couple of 2015. Or 2014, whatever. Was it earlier this year or was it? It was last year. It was no, last it was last year. Yeah, IMDb is just confusing me because for some reason they listed it as a 2015 show. Was it this winter? Like, yeah, was it I after? I, th this winter has lasted so long. I know, God. We actually had a spring day today. It was amazing. I think we've had one. No, today might actually be okay. I'm going to need to poke my nose outside and see if the blue skies align to me. Because I was at the point where I was like, we're having a year without summer. Yep. Set a Regency novel in my backyard because that's how bad the weather is. It's been lovely weather here for the past week, which is just so weird. So you stole our weather? I'm going to come <laughs> and take it. I, I saw this map which said that apparently warmest weather's ever everywhere in the world, coldest weather ever, the North America Northeast. So apparently we stole everybody's winter. Yeah. Not that we I wanted won't. it, mind you. You could have it back. Yeah, we did not need 110 inches of snow in four weeks. Or did you? No, we really didn't. We really, really did not. <laughs> I mean, they're at the point where they're saying that they're going to be shutting down the above-ground portions of the the subway system for big chunks of the summer so that they can properly winterize it. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, 
Yep, we're totally ready for the Olympics, y'all. Totally ready. Does anyone in Boston actually want the Olympics? Because I follow the a number mayor. of Bostonians and none of them seem to want it. Does anybody in the cities where the Olympics go actually want the Olympics? Generally not. That is true, because nobody and... in London wanted them until they happened. Yeah, and I think... And I've, I've said this to people. I'm not at quite as violently anti-Olympic bid as a lot of my friends are. But unle- until and unless Boston one tells the IOC a lot of your demands are ridiculous and we're not going to do that. No, you don't get special IOC only lanes in roads that can't handle the traffic now. Or you can't have your food refreshed every four hours because it's fucking ridiculous and wasteful and stupid. And are the IOC just... trying to top FIFA in terms of... I was just thinking that. Yeah, no, that, that is requirements for their bids is they want stuff like that. And if the Boston Organizing Committee said, how about no? How about you get to be treated like regular humans? Then I would be like, okay, if you're going to, if you'll throw money at the T to actually bring it up to standard, because if nothing, if this actually makes you do that, okay, I'll take it. You know, plus maybe try not to throw out our homeless population and actually like deal with them. How about we do that too? But none of those things are going to happen. So, because it's much easier to just shuttle them away. That's, that does sound like a dystopian novel, by the way. It does, which is why the governments that are totally pro Olympic bids tend to be dictatorships. Marty <clears throat> Walsh. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I had a thing in my throat. All right, so now that we're talking about the weather and transit, I think we can wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> Not that we won't be talking about it again, because everything comes back to life. That is true. So this has been episode 33. <laughs> 31. Shit. 31. <laughs> We're all tired already, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've been episode 31. Um, leave us comments maybe with shows that you would love to see come back, because well, if they're doing it anyway, we might as well hope yeah, for something we like. Netflix is talking about bringing back Full House into <laughs> I know, I know, uh, I know. Which also, when are they going to ask to come back? Uh, apparently, Lori Laughlin has not been asked about it. So, that's awkward and weird. Can you imagine? Okay, but do the Olsen twins get to fight about which one of them plays a role now that both of them are not necessary? <laughs> they, they might just ask Elizabeth to fill in for them and hope nobody notices. Yeah, but she's got Avengers money now. She doesn't need them. That's the thing. She has better things to do with it. Yeah, her. exactly. I was going to say, can you imagine being like the Olsen twins are back on Fuller House on Netflix? And meanwhile, Elizabeth is doing the Avengers Age of Ultron. Yep. Yep. I'm definitely Team Elizabeth in that fight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so everything comes back. Nothing is actually dead. And uh, Hannibal won Hulu's Best in Show for the third year in a row. And our show isn't even airing right now. Go us. Well, I guess when you're a show about puppies, it helps to win an award that sounds like you're a dog. Yes, that is true. Accurate assessment. Reboot all the puppies. <laughs> all the puppies. R.I.P. <laughs> Bring back Underbite Graham. We can't. <laughs> no. All right. We'll see you back here next month. Until Bye. then. You have been listening to Anglophies, a Made of Fail production. Sorry, my mom's just coming again. Hi. It was okay. You can finish it if you want. She liked it. (laughs) Raiden's just jealous. I kind of am.